it's good to be uh, good to be at the Beckenham site. I think I was here when we did the Revelation series, but it's always good to come over. Um, we've been in this series, like Gary said, the King and His Cross, and we're going to be in Luke 15 today, so you can turn there. But before we kind of go, I, I wonder if you've ever lost something or misplaced something. You know, something that's valuable, maybe a your phone, maybe keys, maybe a child. Um, maybe <laughs> it happens. It happens. Let's be honest. When I was um, about 11, we were fortunate enough to go out to Florida for a, a family holiday. And when we went out there, my mum and dad, they hired a car so we could get about to the theme parks and all of that. And um, we go to this one theme park called uh, MGM Studios, massive, thousands and thousands of people. And we're there, and we go through the day. It's a brilliant day. And as we're kind of walking back to the car park, which is a journey in itself, it, it dawns on, I think it was my mum at the time, that um, she, she can't find the, the keys, the car keys. And so we're all panicking. My mum and dad begin to obviously have an argument about whose fault it is and some choice language is exchanged. And, um, and, and, we're kind of, and then my mum does that thing, we're like, right, okay, let's just retrace our steps. Everyone knows that ain't going to work. It's like it's a theme park of thousands of people, but we do. We spend like half an hour going back to where we had lunch, going back to where we stopped for a drink, going to this queue, that queue. Couldn't find the keys anywhere. Anyway, we go back to the, um, community, uh, to the customer service point, the lost and found, and there's this old bloke there, and we kind of describe the car, describe the situation, and he pulls these keys out. I mean, my mum literally jumped on him. He was scared for his life. He didn't never <laughs> see anything. We, and, and we found the keys, and there's that moment of celebration. When you find something that you've lost, there's just this joy. And Jesus uses that idea uh, in, in Luke 15 to explain a little bit about what the kingdom of God is like. And so we're going to read Luke 15 together. We're going to read the whole chapter. And then we're just going to spend some time digging in it together and seeing what uh, will be revealed to us. Luke 15, starting at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having a ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said, There's a man who had two sons. And the younger him said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property amongst them, between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. But no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, Oh, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I'll arise. I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your, one of your, your sons. But Father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. But his son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. He called one of his servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come and your father's killed a fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you, you've never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours came who's devoured your property or prostitutes and killed the fat and you've killed the fat and calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Let's pray together before we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you this is not some old book, 2,000 years old, irrelevant to us today, but it is alive and active. Lord, speaks to us in our current situation right now. And Lord, we pray as we look at what's a familiar passage, Lord, open our eyes in fresh ways to see revelation. Lord, let us see you in a different way. We don't want to leave the way we came today. And so, Lord, we want to pray, illuminate the scriptures to us. Open our eyes. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Luke uses two verses to open up the rest of the chapter. And in the first two verses, he tells us that Jesus is out socially and the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, tax collectors, they were scum. They, they were wrongers. People, there's no kind of comparison in our culture. They were hated amongst men. And the tax collectors and the sinners, he says they're drawing near to Jesus. They didn't feel judged by him. They felt they could be, uh, he was approachable. And the word drawing is a physical kind of uh, stance, but it's a, it's a heart stance. They're drawing near to him. They, they knew they could be near him, having a meal. And notice the contrast that Luke sets up, because then he tells us that the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the do-gooders, the religious men, they were grumbling. It's the, they're physically, they're distant, and in their heart, they're distant. And they're, they're grumbling because Jesus is receiving them. He said he receives and eats with sinners. And on hearing this, Jesus tells three stories that all have lots of similarities. They're all about what was lost being found, what was broken being restored, and then they all end in a celebration and a feast. Although it's not explicitly mentioned there's a feast, in Middle Eastern culture in that time, if there was a celebration, there was a feast. Yeah, and, so, uh, and so we're going to look at the first two in a little bit of detail, and then we're going to spend a little bit longer just looking at this third story. And so the first story, the first thing that Jesus says is he talks about a shepherd who who has a hundred sheep, and notice he says, what one of you? He, he, he's involving them in the story. He's asking them a question. I'd say to you, what one of you, if you had a hundred sheep, and one goes missing, wouldn't leave the 99 and go after the one? This raises some questions. Well, what's he done with the 99? Has he left them with a watchman? Has he left them, saying, has he left them with a deputy shepherd? I don't know if those exist. But, but it's supposed to be quite provocative. You're thinking, what's he done with the 99? I, I'm not quite sure. But he talks about who wouldn't go after the one? And Jesus it's interesting, throughout scripture, we are often referred to as sheep, have you noticed that? Friends, let me tell you this now, it's an insult because sheep are stupid animals. Right? <laughs> sheep are stupid animals. Because at any chance a sheep gets, it will wander off and go and do its own thing. 
They will wander up a mountain with no regard to how they can get back down and they'll get stuck. They'll go down into a valley or kind of a, a nook or, uh, with no regard to how they might get back up. They just kind of go where the grass is. You know, often we are like sheep. The Bible says all of us are like sheep. We've gone astray. We've wandered off, right? And so, and what notice is that, what does he do? It says that when he goes after him, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When you lose a sheep, I said to you, listen, I'm no shepherd. There's not many sheep in Downham. But when you lose a sheep, you go after it, you tie it down, you put it on your shoulders, and you carry it home. In other words, a sheep contributes absolutely nothing towards his salvation. The shepherd does all the work. The shepherd does all, and in the same way for you and I, we contribute absolutely nothing towards our salvation. God has done all the work in Jesus. We contribute nothing to Jesus. Saying that the shepherd is, is just a recipient of salvation, a recipient of grace. And then he calls everyone back together, says, let's have a party, let's celebrate, let's rejoice. And it, it kind of says this phrase, it always used to confuse me to say there's more celebrating over one who repents than 99 righteous people. You think, what do you mean? And he's saying because there's all of these righteous people, what it is is they become self-righteous. They don't think they need saving. They think, they're, oh, I don't need saving. I kind of what the Pharisees and the scrubs are like. I'm, you know, I don't need that. So no, there's rejoicing when there's someone who acknowledges that they need saving and they can do absolutely nothing other than put their trust in Jesus. And so he tells that story. And then he goes on to tell a story about a, a woman who, who loses a coin. She has 10. It's about a day's wage. And she begins to search for it, seeking diligently, it says. In the same way the shepherd was seeking diligently, the woman's doing the same. And, and notice, I've, I, I notice this, that it says that she lights a lamp and shines it in the darkness. Again, Jesus pointing to himself. He described himself, I'm the light of the world. He came to shine in the darkness. In Isaiah, it talks about the people that have walked in the darkness have seen a great light. That's what God came to do. We're children of the light. He's shining. She shines a light in the darkness, and then she finds the coin. And she finds it, and she does the same thing. Celebrates as a feast. It gets everyone round, and there's rejoicing, and people enjoy it. And so those are our first two stories. And then Jesus tells the third story, which is arguably one of the most famous Right? You've probably heard the story of, uh, people have called it the story of the parable son. It's not, it's the story of the parable, it's two sons. It's not one son in the story, it's two sons. And we get with the part one, I guess. We could say this story comes in almost two acts. Act one, act two. And act one begins with the younger brother, the younger son, who, who kind of, in, I guess, the first phase of the story, it talks about his rebellion. He goes to his father and says, Father, the way that it worked then in Middle Eastern times is the older son would have got what you call a double portion, two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son would have been expecting a third. And that would have been tied up in the estate and in land, and he says, I want mine now. This is a, a very disrespectful thing to do. It would be disrespectful now to do that, but in, in those times, in that Middle Eastern context, it was such a lack of honor and respect. He's essentially saying, I want your stuff, I don't want you. You're basically wishing your, your father dead. I, I just want your stuff. And people hearing the story would have expected that the father would have driven the son out with, uh, with at least verbal, if not with physical blows. And they would have said he would have been right to have done that. What sort of disrespectful son would come and do that? He should, you know, really drive him out. But the father doesn't. The father grants him his request. And in, in his rebellion, the son wants to get out from underneath his father. He wants to go and do his thing and, and kind of find his way in the world. And, and he wants to go and, and he says he spends money, it says later on, on, on prostitutes. And he, he squanders his money in reckless living, the text says. And then he starts to realize that this is not all it's cracked out to be. He runs out of money. He realizes that the world hasn't got all that it had to offer. 
and he finds himself sitting doing a job with pigs. Now, again, understand the context. In Leviticus, there's lots of explanations that to work amongst pigs for a Jewish person is completely, is a no-go. Lack of purity rules. You didn't do that. They were filthy animals. But he finds himself working amongst pigs. The crowd be thinking, amongst pigs? And he says to himself, you know what? He's so hungry, maybe I'll eat their food. I've never been in that situation. And he goes to himself, you know what? There's hired men, there's workmen on my father's estate. I could go back. And really, he has this light bulb moment. He says that he came to himself. He, he, he begins to, I believe this, he comes to a moment of repentance, of acknowledgement, recognizing that what he's done is wrong. He says, I'm going to go back to the Father and acknowledge, Father, what I've, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but maybe I could earn my way back into the family. Maybe if I just do enough good things, if I work hard enough, I can repay the debt that, I've, that, that I owe. And, and so he has this brilliant idea. I'm going to go back. I'm going to grovel and grovel. And so he goes back to the Father. But what does it say about the father? Listen, I'm not a parent, uh, but I imagine for, for those who are probably particularly teenagers, if uh, you have a disagreement with a child or the child says to you, um, you know, or they do something wrong and they go away, the moment they come back, you might almost kind of, uh, sort of arms folded. You can imagine it's kind of you know, tapping their feet, kind of lapping it up as they're apologizing, thinking, yeah, yeah, I told you so, you know, and kind of let them sit in it for a bit, you know, give them a couple of days, think it over, you know, just to really let them kind of, and then you say, oh, that's not what the father does at all. He would have been justified when he comes to say, no, get away. You, you know, you've had your cake and eat it, go. But he doesn't. It says that he runs out to him and hugs him. Some commentators actually say the reason he runs out to him is because in that context, coming back to the village was dangerous. Because people would have known the disrespect of that son and maybe they would want to attack him or hurt him. One element is the father's running to protect him. And he, and he, and he embraces him, he hugs him. And the father and the, kind of the son begins his apology and kind of his script that he's rehearsed again and again. I'm so sorry. I, I just can I, I want to grovel. I, I'll do, I want to earn my way back. And the father just cuts him short. He said, no, 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 stop. He says, go and get a robe, your best robe. The best robe would have been the father's robe. Go and, go and put my robe on him, clothe him in, in, in my clothes. He says, put a ring on his finger. In those days, it probably would have been a signet ring. On his hand, that's the way they signed contracts in there. It, was, it would have been an emblem of the family on it. He, 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 in that kind of moment, he said, no, you're going to be, I'm restoring you to the family again. He says, put, put shoes on his feet. We're going to have a party. We're going to kill the fattened calf. He only did that with huge celebration. Meat was a delicacy in those days. You didn't just have meat at any old party. And so all of these things, they're a sign. We've had his rebellion. We've had his repentance. And now these are signs of his restoration. He's restoring him to be part of the family again. Clearly in the story, what Jesus is trying to get at is that the Father represents God. The Father represents God and, and all of us at some point or another have been like this son. All of us, it's funny, that have had to come to God and think, oh, maybe if I say this and do this and do this. And he says, no, I, I'm going I'm to grant you sonship. I'm going to grant you, I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness. I'm going to put the ring on your finger so that you can be called a child of God and you can say, Abba, Father. That is, that's, what, that's all of our story. And for some that have wandered, they, they come back and we're always met. When we come back to God, we're not met with judgment or harsh words, but with lavish grace. The, the, the Father, is, there's a celebration. He's like, I'm going to celebrate. It's lavish grace. And, 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 and as I've been reading this, like over and over and over this week, you sort of think, why didn't you just stop the story there? Because it follows the model of the other two. Something gets lost, then it gets found, and there's a celebration. Brilliant. A sheep gets lost, found, celebrate. A coin gets lost, found. Celebrate. The son gets lost, found, celebrate. But Jesus doesn't stop the story there. There's a whole kind of act two. You think, well, why? Why, why does he involve this second son? Well, part of it is because I think that 
a lot of us misunderstand the, f- the main point of this story. I think a lot of people read this story, first, especially the first part, and we go, basically, the, the moral of this message, what Jesus is trying to say is, you can do whatever you like, and it doesn't matter how bad you are, God will still forgive you. That's kind of like, you, you know, he, look at the son, he went with prostitutes, and he did this and this, but God still forgives him. Now listen, there's clearly an element of that in this story. It doesn't matter how far you wander, there's always enough grace for you to come back. That is definitely true. But you've got to think about who Jesus is telling the story to. He's talking to the, the Pharisees and the religious people at the time. I think actually, the, and what he's, the, the point that Jesus is trying to make is that the way that you think about God, the way you understand God is totally wrong. And you think you've got it so right. You think you understand the kingdom and how these things work, but you've got it completely and utterly wrong. And he uses the second son to illustrate, which we'll see. Because Act 2 commences. He says the older son is, is out and, and he can hear all this commotion. Maybe he's out farming or working. I, I don't know what he's doing, but it doesn't tell us. But he's coming back. He can see some music and dancing. What's going, what's going on over there? He calls one of the servants. What's going on? The servant says, your brother, he's, he's come back. And you can imagine maybe what you think that his reaction would be. He's come back, my brother, my, my younger brother's back. Yes, he wants to go and join in and celebrate. Yes, come on, he's come back. He, I thought he was wayward, but he's here. But that's not what the, the older brother does. It, it says that he was angry and he refused to go in. And angry, refused to go in. That friend would have been a disrespect to the father. He too is disrespecting the family by refusing to go into the party. Listen, I tried this one time when I was about 10. No, I did. I remember I, I was quite a stubborn child. I just left this party once. I said to my mum, I ain't going in. I, I got the info. I can't remember what it was. Maybe someone stole a tour or something. I'm not going in. I remember my mum came out, and, um, and I remember she, she, I was kind of trying to walk off, and she grabbed my arm. I, I was scared. Of, I still am scared of my mum, let's be honest. <laughs> she grabbed my arm, and she said to me, get back in there now, or you'll regret it. And I believed her, right? <laughs> I knew my mum, and I believed her. And so I went back in begrudgingly. But you'd almost expect that that's the sort of conversation the father would have had. He would have been well of his right to go out, grab the son, and then get back in there now. You're making a mockery of the family. You're disrespecting me. Get in there now. And people would have said, yeah, that's, that's what the father should have done. But it's not, it's not what he does. In the face of disrespect and disobedience, the father, again, is gracious. In fact, it, it says that he entreated him. How, great, how many times do we disrespect God? And he's still just so gracious to us. I mean, he says he entreats him, and, and then the son's saying, Look, I, I, I never even got a goat. I never even got, you know, this, and you've got the fattened calf for, for him, and he's, he's getting the right hump about it. And the father says to him, Listen, son, all I've got is yours. That's literally true. As in, the, all of the inheritance, all of the land, it all now comes to him because the younger son's had his inheritance and he's gone. That is literally true, right? And so, what's happening for the older brother? And he's starting to, to recognize that all he has is here. This is the, the greatest day of the family's life. The father is overjoyed. He's literally invited the whole village to come and celebrate. You don't kill the fattened calf and he's going to have a serious party. Everyone's come out. The father is probably so just full of celebration. And the son is more concerned about the stuff. He's, instead of kind of being joyful with his, with his dad saying, yeah, this is great, let me celebrate. He's, 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 got all these, he's kind of concerned because you know what? When he's saying, all I have is yours, the, the, the older brother's realizing that it's his inheritance money that's being used to throw this big party. 
It literally is. It's literally, he can see his stuff and his inheritance diminishing. He's thinking, hold on, this was mine and it's all being used to throw a celebration for my brother who's taken the money, squandered it and gone wayward. What's that about? He's more concerned about the stuff. And his pride and his ego is getting in the way. His self-righteousness. My brother was so bad, but I was so good. And, and the father, is, again, is still so gracious. You see the contrast between the brother's anger and, and, and kind of, you know, being rude and, and aggressive and the father's compassion and love and grace. You see the contrast again. And then the story ends. And you think, hold on a minute, what, happened? what does the son do? And then did he listen to the father? Does he kind of get restored and go, you know what, you're right and come back in? Or does he just have a tantrum and storm off? I, Jesus just ends it on this, this cliffhanger. You see, why, why, why are you doing that? Why, why does he do that? And I was reading, uh, there's an author, pastor in America called Tim Keller, written a brilliant book on this story called The Prodigal God. And I, one of the things that he talks about with, with this is because Jesus is trying to show that the two brothers represent almost like two types of people, the two ways. And, and what he's really trying to show is that the first brother, we find him really easy to understand and we can really see where he's gone wrong. He's kind of gone on this journey of self-discovery. I no longer want to be in the church. I no longer want to be in the Father's house. I'm going to go and do my own thing and see what the world can offer. And he sees what it offers and he realizes this is no good. And he ends up kind of, you know, recognizing it's not satisfying him. And so he does, he does all these sinful things and then he comes back and he's received. And we go, wow, it's really easy to see. He was bad and he went off and he came back. But the second son is a little bit harder to see. Because really it's about, if you like, moral conformity. Following all the rules and thinking you're a good person. So many people now, that, that's a lot of us at times. You, you, as soon as you say to someone, oh no, I think, you know, you, you've seen, I'm, not, I'm a good person. I've, I've, not, I've not done anything wrong com compared to, you know, look at, my, look at that person or that person. Look at the younger brother. You know, and that's what the, if you like, but if you notice that both sons are, are alienated from the father. Both sons are lost. It's not just the, the one who kind of we easily see goes wayward. Both sons are lost. The youngest son, he, he wanted control and he does it by being deliberately disobedient and sinful and being really, really bad and breaking the rules. But the older son, he wanted control as well. And he done so by following all of the rules and trying to be really, really good. But in the end, they both wanted control, but in the end, they're both lost. They both don't know the father. It's like kind of read this story and you think, you know, the, the younger son represents the sinners and the tax collectors who's received and the, and the older son represents the, the Pharisees and the scribes who, who are kind of grumbling and, and, and think they're self-righteous, get indignant about it. There's kind of a clear kind of parallels between them. And it's like Jesus saying, listen, you can be just as lost in religion as you can in irreligion. You can be just as lost in the church as you can outside the church. You can be just as alienated from the Father in here as you can out there. It's the kind of culture that we live in where there's a self-righteous people. I don't need saving. And that's every day we need saving. Can't see that. Oh, no, the younger son, that wasn't me. No, all of us have been the younger son at one point. All of us needed that. And we live in a culture that really kind of likes the idea of moral conformity and pointing out the bad in others. It's not even nice to talk about, but even last night, many of you have tragically heard about Caroline Flack, a TV presenter who took her own life. And I'm sure there's lots of things I don't know, but what you can clearly see is that she was a woman who made some mistakes and the media just completely hounded her. You know, to the point where it's contributed, at least. And you think, because we, we enjoy saying, look how bad she is. Look at all, oh, she's such a bad person. She's done this, this, and this, and this. And then people jump on the bandwagon. That's the culture that we live in. People don't want to recognize, no, actually, there's some things with me as well. There's kind of a moral conformity. And, and it, but what you find striking is that both sons 
are welcomed and loved by the Father. Both sons are forgiven and, and, and he finds compassion to both. That's, why, that's what Jesus is trying to do with the second son. That's what Jesus is trying to, trying to draw out. That's why he tells us the story and the Pharisees and scribes, they would have been at least challenged. Wow, he's trying to, really he's trying to show them the, the, the kind of the speck or the plank in their own eye. And so then the kind of story finishes, of course. And so you think, all right, well, there's lots of similarities in the stories, right? The, the lost, the found, the celebration. But there's some differences in the story as well. Which I, 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 one of the differences is this. The sheep gets lost. Well, the shepherd goes out for the sheep to save it. The coin is lost. The, the woman searches and finds the coin. Jesus is framing the stories this way so that when you hear about the younger brother going out, they're probably thinking, well, who's going to go and search for the younger brother? Who's going to go out for him? Maybe someone's going to go and search for him. Maybe they expected the brother because Jesus makes it, or in fact, God made it claim in, in, in Scripture, and God would have known this. You think about the story of Cain and Abel. God made it clear to Cain, no, you should have been your brother's keeper. There's a responsibility for siblings to look up. We would teach that to children now. You're an older sibling, you look after a younger sibling. There's a responsibility in that. But what's interesting is that no one goes out. Edmund Clowney, who's a pastor in America, tells his story about a son who goes out to a war in Vietnam. It's a big war in he stops getting any correspondence. The family, they stop receiving any kind of official correspondence about the son, and they begin to get scared and wonder, is he dead? And so his brother, the other son, flies out there, right? And he searches for him. He goes through kind of battlefields and war-stricken jungles. Uh, very, very dangerous. But in spite of that, he, he, he doesn't get harmed. Because it was said that, that this kind of people on both sides began to respect his mission and his quest. And in some circles, he became known solely as the brother. When people read this story, that maybe they're expecting that what the older son should have gone when his when his kind of younger brother goes away, when he goes off, he goes, "Dad, let me go out and get him. I'll go. I'll go and find the brother and bring him home. I'll, I'll come. I'll return him back to the family." He doesn't do that. His his, his self righteousness, his pride, and he, he gets in the way. Friends, Jesus is using this to point to himself again, because we have an older brother who's not just prepared to search countries to come and find us, but who leaves heaven to come to earth to find us. Our true older brother. Jesus is, is pointing to himself. He's saying, I'm, I'm the older brother that you needed. Again, I think people read this story and think, oh, this is just about the free gift of grace. Just a free gift. But it isn't. Because grace and forgiveness, it always costs. For example, if you come around my house and you knock my telly over and you smash it, I'd have every right to say to you, you need, uh, you need to replace my television. You know? I said, how else am I going to kind of binge watch Netflix or whatever? You know? But... I might say to you, you know what, depends how much I like you, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? You know what, don't worry about it. It's fine. And you go, oh man, you don't have to pay anything. But I'm, it's then going to cost me money to pay and replace a television. It's not completely free. Forgiveness always costs, and it usually costs a person who grants forgiveness. It's the way that it works. It costs a person who grants it. There's always a cost with forgiveness. It, cost a, it would have cost the older brother, literally financially, and his own pride and ego to forgive it's not a story of free grace. It costs the father much. You know, and, and this whole story in Luke can be best understood just in the whole of the Gospel of Luke. But Jesus is telling parables here that it's really the whole story of Scripture. The whole story of Scripture that we were once made to know and be in relationship with God. To walk with Him. To be with Him. But we've sinned. We've We've, we've, like sheep, we've gone in our own direction. We've drifted, we've wandered, we've been separated from him. Our rebellion and our sin has got in the way. He's been severed. 
And so our true older brother comes on a rescue mission from heaven to search, save, redeem, and reconcile us to the Father. That's the story of the gospel. And the, 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 the punishment that we should have had because of our sin is death. Our disobedience to God, the punishment for that, that that's what it is. And in order to pay for our forgiveness, Jesus Christ says, I'll pay with my own life. And he goes to the cross and he takes it upon himself to suffer and die that anyone who would choose to acknowledge who he is, anyone who would repent of their sin and follow Christ can be welcomed in to the Father's house. That's the story of Scripture. That's the stories that Jesus tells. And in the same way, if you know the Bible, you know that all of these parables, they end with a big feast. In the same way, the Bible says that in the end, it will end in a big feast. There will be a big celebration. There won't be a fattened calf, but there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And all are invited. Those who acknowledge who he is, whether they were like the younger son or the older son, whether this person, whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your race, you're welcomed in. You're welcomed to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is the gospel. So in a minute, we're going we're gonna to sing and, and, and respond uh, to that. And we're going to sing a song. And, and I just want to, the lyrics of this song, they, they kind of really sum up this story, if you like. You know, it says that there's a song, you might know, Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the song that we sing, that is the gospel. And so why don't we stand, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this glorious gospel. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our older brother, who, Lord, did not... Um, Lord, hesitate in coming to rescue, redeem, and save us. Lord, we thank you that each one of us at once have been like a sheep, wandering astray, lost. But, Lord, when we put our trust in you, and, Lord, you called us home, you, you, you welcome us with grace and love and mercy and acceptance. And, Lord, we pray, continue to open our eyes more and more to the revelation of who you are, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.